Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week so far. So today is a little bit different. Typically we do uh, we do something related to the news on Wednesday, but today we're actually doing an interview and we are doing an interview with the singer for Skillet, John Cooper. He is an awesome Christian, has so much wonderful theological cultural commentary, and I'm really excited for you to listen to or watch this conversation if you are watching on YouTube. Uh, before we get into that conversation, I do want to tell you guys about Simply Safe. My family uses Simply Safe security system. It is so easy to set up, and it really does make you feel safe and secure. It has everything that you need to protect your home. So if you want to deck out your home in uh, cameras in every room, sensors on your window, alarm system. You can hook it all up to your phone. You can do that, or you can keep it really simple. You can just have the basic door alarms. It totally depends on your needs, but it only starts at $15 a month. Like if you just want the basic pack, uh, package, just $15 a month. And I think one of the greatest things about Simply Safe, obviously it keeps you safe and secure, but also you don't have to have a technician come out to your home. You don't have to have a salesperson come out to your home. You don't have to talk to a salesperson at all. All you have to do is go online to simplysafe.com. You can pick whatever package, security package you want, how much you want to pay, and then it comes into your home and you set it up all by yourself. It's literally adhesive. And you can hook it up to your phone and you can set your alarm from your phone. You can see your cameras from your phone. It really is so easy, and it's got 24-7 monitoring. And this is uh, uh, this has happened to us when our door accidentally opened when we were out of town. We got a call from Simply Safe. They were able to check to make sure that everything was okay, everything was good, thankfully. But it just gave us that feeling of okay, even though we are not home, we've got someone looking out for us. Also, a good story that my husband has been telling me that I need to tell is that we actually had like a, a leak sensor uh, under our sink, and it went off because we had. A, a leak in our sink and we didn't realize it. My husband was able to fix it. And uh, that, you know, probably saved us a lot of money them telling us that we had a leak. So that's another part of this package that you could get if you want to. Anyway, just love Simply Safe. So go to simplysafe.com slash Allie. That's A-L-L-I-E for a free HD camera just for my listeners. That is simplysafe.com slash Allie to make sure they know that our show sent you. Okay, without further ado, here is John Cooper. John, thank you so much for joining me. It's so cool to be here. I'm excited. Yes. Can you tell everyone who you are and what you do? Okay. Who I am. My name is John Cooper. I sing in a band called Skillet. We're a hard rock band. Uh, we are a Christian band. And that's, that's my day job back when the world had day jobs. Yeah. <laughs> back when the, when the world still was normal. So right. that's what I do. Right. But you also, you host a, a podcast, you post videos several places. I know I have a lot of followers and listeners that send me your stuff. You give a lot of Christian commentary, a lot of cultural commentary from a Christian perspective. Can you talk about kind of when you started also being a public voice that has given so much light and guidance in this crazy, chaotic world that we live in? Yeah, well, thank you. Well, this is how I know that your listeners are good people because they're <laughs> sending you my stuff. Uh, uh, my podcast is called Cooper Stuff. And, um, you know, originally started for me, to be honest, probably about 2011, 2012, when I just was like, okay, I've been a Christian since I was a kid. I've been in Christian music at that point for 
13 or 14 years and or, or, or 12 years. And then I was just like wondering what in the world is happening? Everything just seemed to fall apart. And it wasn't just that the world was confused, which the world was desperately getting more confused, but it was Christians that were getting confused. It was friends that I had that had had been saved for a decade, yeah. two decades, that were all of a sudden walking away from God. Or they would, we would talk about the faith. And I, as I would talk to them, I would say, hey, I don't think what you're saying actually sounds like Christianity. I, mm. I think that sounds like universalism. Are you sure that you're a Christian? And and all of a sudden, we went through some really hard times. People in my church that fell away, public figures fell away, as everybody knows. And I just was like, okay, I need to do a, a real deep dive into culture to understand what is really happening. And and I'm not a very smart person. It took me about three years to finally get to it. But I, I just began to really dig deep. What can I do to help Christian people hold on to the simplicity of the gospel? It's not supposed to be utterly confusing. I mean, <laughs> the, the disciples were not the smartest people on the whole planet. You yeah. know, they, they weren't the academics of the time. Certainly the words of Jesus can can save simpletons like me and and I saw people falling away I wanted to do something because in the in the Christian celebrity world there really wasn't there weren't really any voices doing that and yeah. not many and if there are voices in the Christian celebrity world to be honest they tend to be on the other side they tend to be on more of what what we call the woke side you know the side that is like hey it's okay to have a liberal view of the bible because god loves everybody mm. and i was just like <laughs> You know what? We are leading people straight into destruction whenever you change the truth of Christ in order to make it more palatable to people. And that's why I started Cooper Stuff. Right. And can you talk specifically about some of those points of of confusion that you saw and that kind of spurred you to to start talking about different cultural and theological issues? What have you seen? um, Maybe what kinds of thinking, what cultural forces have you seen push people into that point of view that kind of just says, you know what, the most important thing is just that God loves everyone. And beyond that, I don't need to talk about the hard stuff. Yeah, that's really dangerous stuff, isn't it? Uh, I should say this, uh, and I saved it. I'm a big fan of your show, and my wife is a fan. And so she bought your book for our daughter. My daughter is going to be 18 next week. And um, my my wife was reading it. She's like, dude, she calls me dude. Dude, (laughs) this book is so much like the book that that I've just written a book. And she's like, it's so much like it. You guys are seeing the same thing. So it's very similar. So awesome. I wanted you to know that. Great. Well, thank great you. stuff there. Thank and I began you. to look at it. I'm like, yeah, me and Allie, we're, uh, we're reading from the same notes. Well, yeah, it, this, the same this Bible. Silly, but when I was in college, I studied, uh, I love philosophy and I love political philosophy. I'm not that smart, but I studied postmodernism. I never knew anybody would believe postmodernism. So mm. it took me about three years, or 2012 to 2015, and I remember telling my wife, 2015, I was like, I finally made up my mind about what's wrong with society. Yeah, I didn't know that we don't believe in truth. I, I thought we were arguing about uh, which truth was real. What, maybe it's Jesus, maybe it's right. uh, the Big Bang, or maybe right. it's Darwin's evolution. I thought we were arguing about absolute truth as opposed to that absolute truth even exists. Yeah. And once you begin to, to, to believe in relativism and your truth and my truth is kind of different, and maybe, in fact, you can't even know my truth because 
the color of your skin or yeah. your gender or your economic status, what have you. At that point, then we can't agree on anything. So why? <laughs> What, nothing is good. Nothing is bad. There is there is no way to reach any sort of conclusion about morality, even the way we should treat each other. And what I began to notice was the amount of Christians that were resolute that Jesus is the truth, but also not believe that there is such thing as truth. And I was just like, what's going on with you guys? And so I think that the the influx of postmodernism and relativism in the world has become so ubiquitous and it, it's taken over language, you know, it's changed our words. It, it and, and all of a sudden Christians are repeating a lot of the what I would call postmodern phrases that really don't mean anything anymore. And now they are applying them to Christianity. So now we have a Christianity that that Jesus is real, but he's not it, he doesn't have to be the same for me as the same for you, which actually goes against scripture. So no wonder people are are utterly confused. And so that is one of the the biggest things that that I I just feel really passionate about. We have to strip that away in order to then begin these discussions about right. who Jesus is. Is he actually the same yesterday, today, and forever? Is he actually the sinless savior of the world or is he not? And and other than that, you, there's no way to have peace without it. So that's something I feel pretty passionate about. And in your study, how have you found that postmodernism seeped into the church and has now taken such a strong hold on what seems like a large chunk of people who identify as Christians. Yeah, it's really scary, isn't it? If I probably had to if I probably had to take it down boil it down to one simple thing that I know is going to be oversimplified, but it's what I believe. I believe it's an issue of authority of scripture and sufficiency of scripture. If you think about it, it's really about both of those things because what Christians tried to do they wanted to become so relevant to the world that they began to say, well, part of being relevant is not drawing lines in the sand mm. because it, because then you, you kind of got to view psychology as a little bit on par with scripture in that, in that right. sense, right? It's about loving people. And, you know, you write about in your book about self-love, which is something that I only heard of like three years ago. Right. And I heard a Christian say it, well, there's no way you can actually love the world unless you love yourself. And I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chapter and verse, please. <laughs> and so once you, you have all these things on the same level of scripture, I believe there's a lot of good hearted wonderful Christian people that had good intentions that thought, I don't want to offend people. So I'm going to say, hey, if that's true for you, I understand. I'm not going to draw a line in the sand. And because of that, I, we, we, can dis we can agree to disagree. But before you know it, you're agreeing to disagree on actual essential issues. Uh, things that actually make the okay, that's not a religion. Uh, that's not Christian. Excuse me. That's a new religion. That's not Christianity. And you have to define the terms and you have to be you have to be strong about it or else you will end up with a generation of people. As we've seen now, I you quoted this statistic on your show recently. What is it? Three percent of all millennials who claim to be Christians even believe in absolute truth. Yeah. They don't believe in authority of Scripture. That is a product of weak can I just say the truth here? It is a product yes. of weak pastors that wanted to be so relevant to the world that they forgot to be relevant for the gospel. Hello, I'll start preaching, Allie. I don't even care. Oh, I love <laughs> it. I love it. I know my audience will love it too. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. 
Can you talk about how you see a connection between the postmodernism that you kind of discovered, you know, five to, to eight years ago and the wokeism that you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, you know, critical race theory, intersectionality, social justice that has definitely seeped into the church. Do you see a connection or maybe postmodernism led to wokeism or do you see those things depending on each other within the church? I think that that's really interesting. Uh, I, I would say yes, because I kind of see postmodern modern, modernism as a bit of a foundational work for an, an extreme version of humanism. I mean, I hate to just start throwing around terms all the time, but it, because of postmodernism, the goal of this, what I would consider to be this woke utopia, would be that it, it's all to do with like, uh, I call it works-based, you know what I mean? It's all social justice driven. It's all that... I know what is good, and I know what is good because of my own heart. Mm. So then when you apply that critical race theory model to it in postmodernism, postmodernism believes that there is no absolute reality. So a good person, I put, uh, if, you, if you're not watching, I'm putting good in scare quotes, a good virtuous pers- person, according to the world standards, then would seek to elevate the reality is not true reality, it's perceived reality, right? We need to elevate the perceived reality of people who suffer injustice. And so all of that is to do with postmodernism. So I look at wokeism in, in church, church life, <clears throat> excuse me, I absolutely look at that as a form of relativism because wokeism is built in, in Christianity, I'm talking about, sorry, wokeism in the church is built on the idea that what matters most in the world is being a good person because Jesus loved people. And that all of a sudden becomes the reigning attribute of God. So as opposed to traditional orthodoxy, which teaches us that God is always going to be everything that God is, Mm -hmm. right? He's Mm -hmm. never going to stop being loving in order to be a God of righteousness. Mm. Or that's not how it works. When God punishes the wicked doer, he is still being all loving because it is the infinitude of his love that causes that that also is matched with his hatred of unrighteousness. So once you go, no, it's all about God's love. God loves people. God, uh, God is love, and so therefore, love must also be God. That is the way it works. So now, wokeism becomes something that says we need to do whatever we can do to just make love. I believe the idol. Love is like an idol now that we worship. We don't worship Christ. We've created a God and, and he's 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. And we're like, it's it's love. And that must be what Jesus is like. And so I do think that wokeism is, I believe, is causing a civil war in the church. And they are making it seem like it's all about race. But it's not really about race. It's mm-hmm. actually about this other thing, which I believe stems from, from relativism. And the reason it's justified is because people think they're doing a good thing. Yeah. So they think they're getting to a good place, even though they're doing something bad. It's kind of like trying to get clean by doing something dirty. It's just not going to work. And so I think that that is part of wokeism. Yes. I always say that critical thinking is the enemy of critical theory. And one part of critical thinking (laughs) is you define your terms. And that's why people always ask me, you know, how do I talk to my friend who is kind of inundated in this social justice world? She's a Christian, but she seems to be confused, taking on wokeism. And I think the best thing to do in those conversations is to simply 
ask clarifying questions because so often the people who have maybe unknowingly kind of donned this wokeism as their new lens of the world and even the Bible haven't actually thought about okay, I'm talking about justice, but what does God say that justice is? I'm talking about love, but what does God say that love is? I'm talking about, you know, uh, reaching the, the least of these or reconciliation or unity, but am I using the biblical definitions of these terms or am I using mm-hmm. worldly definitions of these terms? And so I often think the best thing to do is to ask people who are positing these ideas and using these terms, well, what do you mean by X? What does the Bible say that love is? Who does the Bible say that Jesus is? How does the Bible define justice? Because so often it seems like these people using these terms have actually been evangelized to by the world rather than the other way around. And Mm. so we are echoing words and definitions that we have allowed the secular world to define when Christians should be defining them and championing them. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I think, I think critical thinking and clarification in defining our terms and saying, okay, yes, God is love. You're absolutely right. But what does God say that love is? The Bible says that God is love, not that love is God. And so we don't, we don't get to, we don't get to redefine that. Um, But so often I think we're afraid to ask those questions and we're afraid to push back because, you know, we don't want to seem like bigots. We don't want to seem like, it's almost like the two options are like you're either a racist bigot or yes. you're a cr- critical race theorist. What is your I, encouragement for people? I, I, I 100% agree with that on, on every single front. And um, in my a book that I told you about, the book is called Awake and Alive to Truth. And the subtitle is um, Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World. Um, and there's a chapter in there that's deals with this sort of thing. You're absolutely right. I think that um, maybe this is a bit of a way I I would say it. I think you nailed it when you say the world is defining the terms. See, when I was growing up, I grew up in the 80s. We believed in my generation in just hedonism, right? Mm. (laughs) It was a hedonistic world. And that just means you live for pleasure. Whatever you can find that's going to satisfy your flesh is the best thing to live for. And that's why the 80s was so materialistic obviously drug rampant, sex rampant, all of that, right? 80s and 90s, live for hedonism. Well, living for Jesus in that culture, I would say is actually quite, I don't mean that it's easy, but it's easily defined, wouldn't Mm. you say? Because that just means that all you have to do to make a stand for Jesus is to not have sex outside of marriage Mm -hmm. and not do drugs and not whatever. All, All those pleasures, you just say, no, I don't do that. And you automatically make a stand for Christ. And you might get made fun of for your faith. We call it persecuted, if you want to call it that. You might get made fun of for that, but the lines were clear. The difference between hedonism and 2020, which is humanism, is that what the world does, as you said, is borrowing our sense of righteousness, our sense of doing the right thing and pleasing God and loving one another, which is actually not a natural thing to do, right? Our, our selfish nature does not like look to, how can I go around helping people? So in our theology, original sin means that you don't naturally look for those things. It is the spirit of God that changes you in the inside and gives you a love for people that begins, you begin to have the fruits yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Well, the world is kind of like taking that on. 
And so now what you have is a world who believes that they are more virtuous than Jesus Christ himself. (laughs) And that is really weird. And so now you have Christians confused because they are being now called bigots by a world who thinks that they are more loving than Jesus. Whereas in hedonism, my generation, nobody ever looked at a Christian was like, I'm a better person than you. They looked, they didn't like Christians because they thought Christians were like no fun or they were do-gooders. <laughs> right. They were, they were goody goodies and we ruined the party. Now it's like, oh, you're actually a bad person because I have more virtue than you. So now we live in a time, this is how I would encourage Christians. The Bible is still the same. You should count it joy when you are persecuted for your faith. You just have to get used to the idea that you're going to be persecuted with lies as opposed to because you stood up against hedonism. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be called somebody who you don't care about the poor, (laughs) even though by all statistics, everybody knows that religious people give way more charity than non-religious people. Conservative people give more charity than uh, non-conservative people. We all know those things but you're still going to unjustly get called something. And my encouragement to Christians is, does that still not equal joy because you're being persecuted for what you believe, even though it's unpopular? So I think if we understand the worldview and we define the terms, then we just have to say, hey, I'm counting it all joy. I'm getting a chance to stand for my faith in Christ. And by being honest with people, I am actually speaking the truth, which is what my responsibility as a believer is. Yeah, you make such good points that it's a it's a different kind of line in the sand today because secular people and people who identify as Christians but really are universalists like you mentioned earlier, they have co-opted Christian terms whereas that you know, that didn't used to be the case. We weren't even using the same language as the world. But now you have people who don't know God at all using terms like justice, using terms like yeah. uh, compassion and love and even citing Jesus, even though they don't believe Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And so I think that's part of also why Christians are confused, because you hear people in the secular world using Christian terminology and you're thinking, oh, shoot, okay, well, that that sounds right. That sounds godly and good and righteous. So maybe <laughs> maybe that is how how I am supposed to be. But again, not going to the word of God to define those things, but allowing people who hate God to define yes. those things, who don't believe people are made in the image of God to tell you what human dignity actually is. It's kind of like when I say, okay, you know, you hear pro-choice people saying, oh, to be actually pro-life, you have to agree with all of my different social programs and social issues and whatever. And I say, hang on, pro-lifers, actual pro-lifers. Yep. People who believe in the legalization of dismembering babies in the womb do not have the moral authority to define what is pro-life and what is pro what is not pro-life. And I say the same thing to Christians, Christians, people who hate God, who, according Mm. to the Bible, are enemies of God, who are under the influence, as Ephesians 2 says, of the prince of the power of the air, do not have the authority to define justice or injustice. They don't have the authority to define human dignity. They don't have the authority to to define right and wrong. God has that authority. Um, And so I think we have to be careful. Whose authority are we under? Who are we allowing to define our terms? And we have to resist 
the redefinition of terms. There was a, sorry, I know I'm ranting, but there was um, a post the other ranting, day. That's not ranting, Ellie. That's called preaching. Oh my goodness. Well, Come I, on, baby. <laughs> I feel like I'm ranting, but I would love to hear what you think about, think about this because I got into a conversation with someone about it on Instagram. There was a post that said, you know, um, supposed to be from a Christian perspective saying that only white people can be racist because racism is prejudice plus power. And I posted, you know, this is wrong. This is a, a redefinition of terms. God doesn't distinguish between the kinds of hate that he prohibits in the Bible. And I had a Christian, you know, message me and say, you know, I've got my MDiv from Fuller Seminary and you're wrong about this. Um, and I think a lot of Christians are allowing the world to redefine those terms. What is your what is your advice to people to resist that who fear being called a bigot, who fear being called racist, but know that they have to stand strong and outwardly yes. speak out about what is actually true and what these terms actually mean? I think, yeah, uh, so so many good good things. Okay. Um, I like what you said. I, I'm going to rewind only a little bit. Go for and then it. I'm going to hit that because you, you're absolutely right. One of the things I wanted to share, where should I start on this? <laughs> There's so much. You know what's really annoying? I was going to say what's really annoying to me, and it goes directly at what you just ended with, is that I expect the world to be deceitful. That just makes sense because our flesh is deceitful. And if you don't know Christ, there you go. What's really annoying to me is that the world then has has kind of co-opted Christian terms. They have twisted those terms to mean something different. Then what happens next is that our, as you said, MDiv class, <laughs> our pastor class, our preacher class, then co-opts the new definitions of the terms and defends them. And I, I don't, I do not understand yeah. how that's what really makes me mad. I expect yeah. the world to do nasty stuff when preachers begin to do it because they're, I don't know, maybe they have good intentions. Maybe they're trying to bridge the gap. Maybe, I don't know what their intentions are, but it's, it's wrong and they need to be called out for it. And they're, they're, they're trying to, to, to say, Hey, I kind of know what the world's saying. And we're kind of on their side. If you think about it. And one of the things that's really scary about that, you're right, is that they're redefining all of the terms uh, and on a foundation of something that we just do not believe, and it is causing utter confusion. M maybe I'll give you an example, because a story kind of speaks to it more than me yakking about a philosophy. A good friend of mine, um, who I love, who's, who's black, when George Floyd died, he had a bit of a breakdown. We don't live in the same city. He had a bit of a breakdown. And on Instagram, I would say on Instagram stories, probably 20 times a day, he was reposting Black Lives Matter stuff. He's a Christian. Black Lives Matter, Ibram Kendi quotes about, yeah. as you said, prejudice and power. Being anti-racist means um, you know, showing up for, for uh, protests and reparations. And if you don't show up for protests, then you're actually a racist. He was posting all this stuff. So after about a, a week, I gave him a call because I, I just wanted him to vent. Like, Go ahead and vent. I don't mind. We're friends. I called yeah. him and I said, Hey, how are you doing with things? And we talked, we had a great conversation. And he said to me, he goes, you know, what's weird, John? He said, what's weird is that I have some of my, my great white Christian brothers calling me repenting for their white supremacy. And he said, John, I got, I just tell him, why are you calling me? I don't think you're a racist. Why are you doing this? And I had to explain to him 
he doesn't understand what he's posting mm. means that all of his white friends are actually racist right. <laughs> according to the definitions. And he's like, what are you talking about? And yeah. I try to explain that. Look, I'm not offended. I love you. I know you're hurting and I feel you. And I'm mad about what happened to George Floyd as well. I'm really mad about it. Um, but it, you have to understand the philosophy. What you're saying means that your white friends are actually prejudiced against you. Mm. And so what this means now, I don't know if you've seen this, Ali, but I'm sure people watching have, have seen this. Have you seen things online where you have some a, a spouse married to someone else that's a different color skin? Yeah repenting to their spouses or their biracial kids. They didn't know they had white supremacy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you've been married for 20 years. This is not what love looks. That is a twisted version of love. Yeah. When in the Christian worldview, we have already been reconciled in covenant to one another because we are reconciled to Christ. It is the best news that there is. It's the great news of Jesus Christ. So I agree with you. I think that's like maybe a story to put it in perspective of how critical race theory will destroy the world. And for all those preachers that are going, I don't believe in critical race theory. I just want to use some of the terms in order to reach the world. What you end up with is this confusion about saying that I read just this past week again, that Jesus had privilege. Jesus laid aside his privilege in order to identify with the oppressed. As soon as you get into that language, what you are saying is that Jesus died for minority groups. Yeah. And the only way for majority groups to come to Christ is through identifying with a minority group. And now the minority group becomes the mediator, and that is not the gospel. We celebrate one mediator in Christ. So I would encourage people, you know what? You probably are going to get called names. It is going to be unpopular, but in doing so, you'll be rewarded. It's so much better to be rewarded by King Jesus. That's what I would say. Yes, amen. I say, blessed are those who are canceled for Christ. If Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, (laughs) blessed are those who are canceled for Christ. I have a few things to say about about what you just said. You're absolutely right there. Pastors say, no, I don't believe in critical race theory. But I do feel like I need to renounce my white privilege. I do feel like I need to preach a different gospel to my white congregants than I do to my black congregants. And I think that is an eternal disservice in particular to your black congregants. If you love, which I know these pastors do, if you love the black and brown people that are in your congregation, and if you love God, then you know that their deepest problem, uh, their deepest problem is everyone else's deep problem, that they are a sinner that will stand before God one day and that they need to be reconciled to a holy God by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the same biggest problem that your white congregants have. And so when we only preach repentance to white people, but we preach, I'm sorry, only to black people, then we're not preaching the gospel to the very people that we are saying have, 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 have bared the brunt of prejudice. That is another form of prejudice and it has eternal implications when you are yep. too scared to preach repentance and preach the good news of Jesus Christ to your black congregants but because you think the only thing they need to hear about is white privilege. That is actually a form of racism. And that mm. is where critical theory <clears throat> brings us to new forms of racism, to coddling one group and to castigating another group. 
not based on actual responsibility, not based on actual actions or attitudes, but based on immutable characteristics that the world has told us categorizes people as the oppressed versus the oppressor. Another thing that I wanted to know is that you said, you know, people are saying Jesus put aside his, his privilege to care for the oppressed. What people seem to conveniently forget is that, yes, Jesus certainly did spend time with the marginalized Mm. in society. He certainly did spend time with the societally oppressed. He also paid attention to what critical theorists today would call the societal societal oppressors. He paid attention to the Roman centurion. He certainly befriended the Mm -hmm. tax collectors. He even shared the gospel with the Pharisees. What about Nicodemus? What about the greatest oppressor that we see in the New Testament, which is Saul? I mean, he paid special attention, Saul, who became Paul, uh, the, he paid special attention to these people who were considered societal oppressors because the commonality between the societally oppressed and the societal oppressors is that we are all oppressed by sin. And yes. that is what Jesus came to liberate us from. And when we forget that, we're no longer preaching the gospel. We are preaching the gospel of critical race theory, which ultimately deconstructs <clears throat> and divides, but within its nature does not have the ability to reconcile, does not have the ability yeah. to build up the church. It only divides. It only creates resentment. It only creates more prejudice. And I, I think that you're absolutely right. It leads to a deconstruction and destruction that um, that is going to be scary to watch if we don't reverse course. Do you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. I think we're in the middle of a, a semi-church split in America over, uh, again, I don't really think it's over race. I think it's over this issue, which is what you're saying. And and, and maybe I could give a little bit of a word of encouragement of something. Me and my brother uh, were talking about this. This isn't like, you know, this isn't a prophetic word. This is just what I see. This is what I think is happening. Remember how you said a second ago, there's the, the guy with the MDiv. And the reason I'm saying this is because I have a good friend called James White. I know you know who James White is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I first began being friends with James White, I remember saying to him, hey, I want to speak out on a, an issue. And it was to do with critical race. I said, the problem is, is if I speak out against this, that means that I am going against people that are way, way, way smarter than yeah. I could ever be, okay? I could never hold a candle to the intellect of some of the people that I'm disagreeing with. There's, it's not possible. And what, you know, what I, the conclusion I came to, and this is what I want to encourage your listeners in, is that I believe that there is a bit of a rebellion happening not with the MDiv class, not with the preacher class, but with the lay people. We are the lay people. We're not the smart people, but there is a, a, a bit of a revolution happening because all of us normal people are going, wait a minute, you guys are saying things that you didn't say five years ago, exactly. that you didn't say 10 years ago. You're confusing me. And now they've been looking into it enough. And there's more and more people saying it on the internet, like yourself and and whoever, Vody Balcom, who you had on, who I love. and. There are more and more people saying it, and more of the normal people (laughs) are going, this doesn't sound right. And I believe we're going to see a lot of these preachers held to account because it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you you have a philosophy that you stand up against the Word of God, it is going to fall because the Word of God is supreme, and the Word of God— 
the word of God is the word of God, whether a simpleton says it or whether an intellectual, brilliant person says it. And I think that we just need to have that courage. I had to have that courage, frankly, because I thought, man, am I, I'm going to say something in, against Tim Keller, who's a genius and, <laughs> right, and is he's brilliant. very much spoken to me and changed aspects yeah. of my life have been changed from this person. Mm -hmm. But I disagree with this. And what it comes down to is that we don't speak because of our own intellect. We speak yeah. the word of God, which is wisdom, right? So yeah. it is wisdom that, that changes. It's not about intellect. And so I want to encourage people, if you think, well, I'm not really a smart person, join the club. I'm not <laughs> either. I'm, I'm an average student at best, but God will increase increase your knowledge of the scriptures. That's what the Holy Spirit does, right? He leads you into all truth of the scriptures and you get more and more understanding. Jesus becomes so much more delightful to you the more you get to know him. And then you begin to recognize truth. And when we don't recognize it, we have to stand up against it. But what I see happening is more and more people saying, this isn't right. I'm, I'm not going to put up with this any longer. And I just encourage people to stand strong, hold the line. That's the word. Amen. Amen. And we'll end on this question. You recently talked about on your podcast uh, the importance of unity, but only unity under truth, not necessarily unity at all costs. Can you talk about how what we should be pursuing is biblical unity, not just agree to disagree when it comes to these core truth theological issues? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the idea of having unity at the expense of essential truth is, I mean, clearly that, that's no unity at all. Right? It's like it's like right now in America in 2020, I don't think we're going to have unity if all of us actually want a completely different country. There's no way to have unity if there is no actual commonality. And so if the scriptures are not the foundation of the truth, then we will never reach unity in Christ. That doesn't make any sense at all. So I think, I do believe, I heard Vody Balcom said, I know you had Vody on your show. I'm a huge fan of Vody. I think he said it best. Uh, what he was saying, the sad thing is, is that a lot of people are causing a lot of this damage because of their love for their brothers. Mm. And I think being a gracious person, that is a good way to look at it. That 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 the people that are just are bringing all this division in and saying things that aren't true according to the word best case scenario they are doing it because they love people and they want to see people be brought together but you cannot have you you cannot have unity un, unless we believe in truth so the way that i view that is hey there's going to be things we disagree with on the bible I don't care if we agree with eschatology or not. If you somebody's post-millennial and somebody's pre-trip, that that's not an essential. Our essential is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but He always was. He is the eternal Son of God. Jesus Christ came to Earth in the flesh in order to pay a sacrifice, a, a sinless sacrifice for the penalty of all of our sin. And if you don't believe, just one more thing. I'm amazed at how many Christians don't know that they are sinful to start with. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. How Christians don't believe in original sin is just amazing, but they don't. We are guilty of sin and we deserve for the earth, as Jonathan Edwards said, for the earth to open up and swallow us into yeah. hell right now as we speak, except that Jesus paid the price for that. Mm. And we know who God is from the Bible. And once you take that away, 
there will be no unity. And yeah. now you've just bastardized the gospel because the gospel is no longer anything unless we have a foundation on, on the word of Christ. So I think my encouragement is this. I want unity really, really bad. But unity at the expense of the truth is 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 just that's not the God. That's not the gospel. Jesus either is the way, the truth and the life. You know, he's not the way, the unity, or, yeah. he's not unity over truth. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So that's my encouragement to Christians. I know it seems harsh. I know it sounds hard. Final thing, my final promotion yeah. for my sweet new book coming yes, out. Yes, please. I have a, a chapter in the book. It is called Jesus the Lion. And I wrote it because all we ever hear about is how nice of a person Jesus was. Yeah. And obviously I believe that Jesus is nice, but... Jesus said some hard stuff. And I yeah. share in my book about when I was growing up that I was ashamed. I was doing my own Bible reading and I was ashamed to tell anybody that Jesus doesn't always seem all that nice to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's true. I'm like, they're like, yeah. he's so nice. And I'm reading this like, man, I mean, if your eye causes you to sin, it'd be better to pluck it out. I right. Mean, that doesn't sound... That doesn't sound so tame to me. This sounds like a guy that believed in truth over being polite, all right? This is a guy that, that was like, truth is what matters, and if it makes people mad, that's the way it has to be. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I wrote in this chapter about Jesus the lion. He has words of life and words of love, and he, he's the same Jesus, of course, that says to uh, you know, the woman in sin, uh, the, 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 the prostitute or whatever, uh, however you view that particular, particular scripture that I don't judge you go and sin no more. That is Jesus. He is welcoming, but he is also the Jesus that says, uh, you know what? Depart from me. I, I never knew you. I don't know you get out of my presence. Yeah. And we have to swallow everything that God is. If we're to actually Follow Christ. That's what it means. Yes, and amen. Okay, where can people pre-order that awesome sounding book? Where can they follow you and listen to your podcast? Okay, uh, you can pre-order the book, please, at johnlcooper.com slash awake. So my website is called johnlcooper.com. And you can see stuff on there and whatnot. My podcast is called Cooper Stuff Podcast. You can get on iTunes. Uh, you know, Spotify, YouTube, Cooper Stuff podcasts, and I'll have add some ads. I hope up for my book on there. Instagram, uh, John L. Cooper, and uh, yeah, follow me, and, and awesome. we'll keep this thing going, baby. <laughs> awesome. Well, we will make sure to include those links uh, in the description for this podcast episode, so people can easily navigate there. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I know this is going to be. So edifying to the people who are watching and listening. And um, I I pray that God continues to bless your endeavors, whether that's music or, or teaching the world about culture and theology <laughs> and uh, viewing the world through a, a biblical lens. And I just know that your book is going to be a huge blessing for so many people and add so much wisdom and clarity. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Well, thank you so much, Allie. So cool to talk to you. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you.